0: us is on a journey through this life three ways that i'll just quickly uh reference as ways we might think of it john bunyan's well-known pilgrim's progress is one portrayal of a walk from the city of destruction at times running to ultimately the celestial city and all that took place in that process but maybe the more accurate portrayal of all is that we are like sailing in a small boat across a vast ocean in which there is no clean, simple, clearly marked route for us to follow. We really have to rely on the instruments because we can get disoriented in a heartbeat. And we have to constantly fight to hold our course against relentless winds, waves, and currents. But since few of us walk, fewer of us sail, maybe the more helpful picture is just driving and life being a long drive through this world on some incredibly tough and rough roads with billions of forks in the road. Meaning we're constantly, unceasingly having to make choices about which way we take. And our GPS may tell us a preferred or wisest way to go. It may show us a couple other ways that are maybe not quite as wise, maybe a bit more foolish. And it will definitely know, let us know, when we are doing dumb choices. Every single place of decision making, all those billions of forks in the road, at every one of them, there are two advertising signs. Two appeals, two recruiting pitches. In Proverbs, God often uses the portrayal of two women, one named, capital W, Wisdom, and one named, capital F, Folly. She's given some other names as well through that, but they represent this advertising at every fork in the road in which we have to make a choice. Neutrality is not possible. We have to keep pressing forward, but the choices we make affect our destiny, and what our life ends up looking like. Now, God graciously gives us many tools uh, for navigating through life in whichever word picture is most helpful for you so that our journey can be the best it can be given the fact that it's in a sin-filled and sin-cursed world. God kindly offers guidance. We speak of the 66 books of our Bible as his counsel toward us or the whole counsel of God by which we have according to Peter in his second letter everything we need for life and godliness nothing is lacking but one section of our Bibles that God particularly uh, speaks to this navigating of life is the wisdom literature in the middle of our Old Testaments, and actually usually pretty much in the middle of our Bibles depending on what other concordances and things we may have at the end of them. And out of these five books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, each of them gives us a different aspect of wisdom. J.I. Packer just succinctly portrays it as Psalms teaching us worship, Proverbs behavior, Job suffering, Song of Solomon how to love, and Ecclesiastes how to live. Me and my wordiness have a little longer edition of each of those. But Psalms teaches us how to relate to God and worship God through all of life's ups and downs. Proverbs shows us how God wants us to conform us to his son through the making of wise choices. Job teaches us how, as Packer said, to suffer. And I would say in the likeness of Christ or learning to do so like Christ and coming to grips with the sovereignty of God. Song of Solomon, one particularly long song, is a specific one that teaches us how to love not only our spouse with covenant love, but far more importantly, our God, Christ. And then Ecclesiastes is really the lessons, the reflections learned the hard way from a life that, where a man went from being the wisest man to one of the biggest fools. Out of these five books, we're going to zero in this summer on Proverbs, 3,000 years old. And it is one of the most practical, relevant revelations of God and his nature that is given to us. 920 verses, broken now for a little bit of organization for us into 31 chapters, but essentially hundreds and hundreds Of gems of wisdom that God has preserved intentionally for our good. Trying to edit, I don't do that well. Last Sunday, I preached a topical message that I was asked to preach on worship at Faith Bible Church. And I thought about doing that this Sunday, but I was anxious to get started on Proverbs. So at some point, we may do that message, but that led to a week being somewhat frantic. Here is my dining room table on Tuesday, and that may help you know how to pray for Beth (laughs) in the process, trying to whittle things down, and you may wonder by the end of this message if I got any kind of organized thought to it. But I think this, uh, though I have taught it, Proverbs, from verse one all the way through the last verse of chapter 31, uh, I think we'll walk through it mostly topically, looking at some of the major topics that it addresses. And next Sunday in particular, I'm hoping all of you who are graduating, uh, it's a message particularly for you, but really anybody in their teens through their 20s, particularly. Proverbs is most written for the young, and we'll think through some of those truths. Uh, We actually had one of them stated in a baptismal testimony today of trusting the Lord with all our hearts and not leaning on our own understanding. And then from there, we'll work our way through some other topics. Today, we'll just try and very quickly think through what is a proverb? Why does God use this method? How does he use them? Where can we find wisdom in all of this? And if time allows, a single proverb, chapter 1, verse 7 that unlocks the mystery to the entire book and the entire topic of wisdom. Father, this morning as we come to your word, we ask you to do what Jesus did on the day after his resurrection when he walked with those two disciples and he interpreted to them the scriptures about himself, opening their minds to understand things like where he was in Proverbs So would you open our own eyes as well this summer beginning today to help us recognize not just your truth, but you. Cause our hearts to burn within us while you talk to us through these Proverbs. May they be living and active and sharply piercing our souls and our spirits, discerning the very deepest thoughts and intentions of our hearts so that we are transformed degree of glory by degree of glory, to be evermore like your beautiful and glorious Son. We ask in your name. Amen. So the book gets its name from the second word of this whole book. It's a method. It's a way that God, a strategy that God uses to communicate his truth. This is in a genre of uh, proverbs, which generally doesn't help people too much, but a unique form of literature and communication and language that God uses that's really unique from many of the other books in the Bible. A proverb places premium on careful wording. A single sentence can preach an entire sermon or a series of sermons to our hearts. Uh, So, generally, proverbs are not commands, although we'll see lots of commands in here, or promises, as much as they are, principles, rules of thumb for living as well as we can under the curse. There are more generalizations, not guarantees, more patterns and tendencies than ironclad certainties. The word, one of the meanings of Proverb is to represent, meaning it's expressing the most representative cause-effect principle of how life will play out in a particular truth. It's a simple sentence that contains pointed, pithy truth that's meant to provoke thinking. So the way Solomon wrapped up his book, his Ecclesiastes, was to speak of the words of the wise as being goads, which is a stick with a sharp point on it meant to prod cattle to get them to do whatever the owner wants them to do. And so God's Proverbs are goads to us to poke us, provoke us, stimulate reactions and actions within us. They're meant to be easily learnable, hence for particularly young people, as a way to help rule and govern the way life should be lived as humans. Kings would use them. Councils of wise men would use them. Communities would use them and households, particularly parents, would as well. But the real value of Proverbs is not just particular favorites that we have out of them, but this whole robust, full communication from God about life. Tim Keller, who noted that often communities would collect their Proverbs and put them into some sort of manual, and then the older men would mentor and teach the younger men through those. But he says this, No one proverb gives you the whole picture. So proverbs can't just be dipped into or taken in isolation. It only repays very long study in which you keep, as much as you can, the whole book in your head and compare passage with passage as you face particular circumstances. You might think of it as a 700-word puzzle where you can pick up a single piece and there's some sort of identity and uniqueness to it but it isn't until you start interlocking and connecting those pieces and forming bigger and bigger things that you start to make sense of the big picture. A few other definitions of just the book of Proverbs. Hundreds of ways it shows those whom Christ has positionally made righteous through his own work and his imputing of his own perfect life to us, but it teaches us how to then practice or live out or manifest that righteousness. And righteousness actually is a very common word in Proverbs, particularly in chapters 10 through 30, that we'll note a lot of times along the way. Another way to think of it is a personal code of ethics. Once again, to emphasize, not as a sinner's way to earn their way to God, But as a believer's trusting in Christ's work alone, walk with God from that point on. It teaches us not only to distinguish right from wrong, but also good from bad, better, and best from okay. We also could think of it as a manual for making disciples, fulfilling the Great Commission. It's not the whole counsel of God but it certainly is a rich and comprehensive and practical guide for it. And finally, a guide for how to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to God and worthy of him. And that's the way Paul prays in Philippians 1, is that we would be filled with the knowledge that would then produce spiritual wisdom and understanding that would then produce a walk that's in a manner, in a way, that is, worthy of and fully pleasing of to our God. A couple thoughts from Charles Bridges. While other parts of Scripture show us the glory of our high calling, this book of Proverbs instructs us in detail how we should walk so we're worthy of this calling. And then, <clears throat> finally, while trying to wrap up this about the whole unit, Proverbs shows us that God cares deeply about the seemingly smallest details of the daily walk of each of his children, helping us with decision-making so that we can avoid much pain and heartache and enjoy many, many more blessings. In other words, the question for us to, to ask is not always only, is it sin, though that is a critical question to ask, but also, is it wise? For example, is sleeping four to five hours a night a sin? Not likely. Depends on why. Is it foolish? Probably long-term. Is spending time alone with someone of the opposite sex a sin? Not in and of itself. But is it foolish? Very possibly. And you can go on and on with all these. Here's how Ray Ortland illustrates it. If we have love but not wisdom, we'll tend to harm people with the best of intentions. Or if we have courage, but not wisdom, we'll blunder boldly. And maybe one really relevant to us, if we have technology, but not wisdom, we will use the best communications ever invented to broadcast stupidity. And a couple of other little longer descriptions of the book of Proverbs that I hope are helpful. Richard Mayhew, in his commentary, Proverbs answers the universal question, how should I live my life? It does not focus so much on how an individual can be successful and self-fulfilled as it does on how a person can live so as to please God. It is a book about morality, duty, ethics, values, virtues, and principles that communicate and enable one to live a life in accord with God's will. Proverbs enshrines and champions the cardinal virtues of God's righteousness in a distilled and crystallized form. They prick the conscience, penetrate the soul, and probe the deepest recesses of the heart. And then Ray Ortland The Bible is the voice of God pointing us into his eternal life. We will live day by day in a world where, and now he quotes Derek Kidner, there are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law. He cares about our understanding of the massive truths of our existence. But he also cares about the nuances that make a difference in our relationships and experiences every day. Even if we do seek the holiness of the law, we can still make a mess of our lives, our families, our churches, our workplaces, our communities, if we are unwise. We need God's help moment by moment down to the level where there are no hard and fast rules to go by. So, let's think a little bit about what is wisdom, which shows up 115 times in the book of Proverbs. It's not, first of all, taking in these Proverbs, knowing what they say, being able to quote some of them, being familiar with them. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. That's knowledge, but it falls short of having to see how that proverb applies to life and then letting it actually determine that. Wisdom also is not intelligence. Please don't confuse that. Some of the biggest fools of all time are the people with the highest IQs. It's not being smart, and it often comes from what we consider some of the simplest people. As somebody said, it's so easy to acquire knowledge, yet how difficult and painstaking is the process of gaining wisdom. But beware, it's a lifelong struggle to have the tendency to try to just gain knowledge very simply as simply as we can maybe say it is it's the application or knowledge applied to do to live out to know scripture so as to apply all of it the whole counsel of god in a way to every situation understanding the implications of the word and carrying them out heeding the counsel of god so that's why james emphasizes in the opening of his letter in the new testament Be doers of the word. Like he just puts it right up front. He's going to talk about wisdom more in chapter 3 as well. But right up front he says wisdom is being doers, not hearers only, who gain that knowledge but ultimately deceive themselves. He compares it to how we look in a mirror and go away and immediately don't know what we look like, where that zit or that freckle is, or whatever it might be, piece of food, whatever it might be. So we have to keep going back and looking. But the point of Proverbs is to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law that sets us free, like we look into a mirror and then persevere and ultimately do that. That's where the blessing lies. And then in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, he gave a little different word picture than the journey word picture that I used at the beginning. But he speaks of the fact that those who... Next slide... Those who hear the word and do his words are like a wise man building his house on rock, um, basing his life on God's principles so that when life's rain, floods, winds, all of that come and beat on that house, on that individual, on that person's life, it doesn't fall or collapse because it's been founded on the rock. And then Jesus gives the contrast. Those who hear, so same thing, both are hearing the words, but now the difference is they don't do them. That's a foolish man. He too is building his house or his life, but he's choosing an entirely different foundation, sand. And so now when the same rains, the same floods, the same winds come and beat against the house, now rather than it standing, it falls, and that fall is great. A human life becomes incredibly broken and ruined by one thing. The folly of not living out the truth that God gives us. Final thoughts on just wisdom. I really appreciated two short little definitions that Ortland had in his book. First of all, wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our lives. And then secondly, wisdom is the gospel of Christ reshaping us for royalty. Where then do we get this wisdom? Well, one of God's intentions with the book of Proverbs is to make it abundantly clear that it doesn't come from human reasoning, frail and often foolish beings. Uh, It is bankrupt of real means to help us. Human voices may be helpful in some ways, and God actually can bring his wisdom through those, but ultimately the source is God himself. Paul calls God in Romans 16, 27, the very, very, very end of that great book of Romans, the only wise God. There is no other God or being from which we can get true wisdom. God alone is that source, and he also is only wise. There is no folly in him. So when Job is wrestling with things in Job 28, he asks the question, where shall wisdom be found? Where's the place of understanding? How can I come to grips with all this suffering? And then man does not know its worth, and then here's one clue. It's not found in the land of the living. It's not found in the deep. It's not found in the sea. can't be bought. It's hidden from the eyes of all the living. But God alone understands the way to it, knows its place, because he sees everything under the heavens. And then Job finishes a few verses later after describing the wisdom of God's creation, that God saw it, declared it, established it, and searched it out and said, Behold, stand here and ponder this, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom, which is almost verbatim, Proverbs 1, 7, and Proverbs 9, 10. And then in Proverbs 8, which at some point this summer we may look at this section a little bit closer, but wisdom is talking here and says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the foundation of the the beginning of the earth. And verses 24 to 29 describe all kinds of ways that God masterfully and wisely created the world we live in. And then it concludes with, I, wisdom, was beside him like a master workman. Great word picture. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of men. So God alone is our source. We can't find it in ourselves. We can't find it outside of ourselves in others or in this creation. It's a gift, a work of grace that God conditionally gives to us through the Holy Spirit and Scripture. Kitchen just simply reminds us, no one left to himself ever arrives at wisdom. But it's vitally important, and this is where we'll kind of wrap and finish our thoughts, but it's a long conclusion, that we understand the centrality of Jesus Because we don't see his name all over in this book. We just walked through Mark and I I have no idea how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times we saw his name and clear identification of him. But it's critical that we understand the centrality of Christ in the book of Proverbs. First of all, and these I think are going to be all just quick reminders for you. Jesus is called the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1.30. In fact, That's one of the most distinguishing marks of God's wisdom is his son. In Colossians 2, through Paul's pen, we're told that in Christ are hidden all, note the word all, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's the source. There is no other. While while Christ was serving here on earth as Jesus of Nazareth, even when he was young, in Luke 2, twice describing him as about a 12-year-old boy, that he was filled with wisdom, and that he continued to increase in wisdom, and that led to increasing in stature and favor with God and man. When he first began teaching publicly in Matthew 12, he declared something greater or far wiser than Solomon is here. In other words, you're going to get far more wisdom than even what Solomon gave you through my counsel. Matthew 13, one chapter later, His community, his uh, hometown asks, where did this man get this wisdom? Nobody else in town had anything like that. And remember also the prophecy of Isaiah 9-6, that in being born when Christ came, that one of the names he would be called would be Wonderful Counselor. Keep in mind that Jesus also taught in Proverbs. They're just not identified and singled out as that. Listen to some of these. I think you'll recognize them. No one can serve two masters. A tree is known by its fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. The first shall be last and the last first. So Ortland says well here, this book is Jesus himself coming to us as our counselor and our sage. And he freely offers us, even us, is unique and i would add all kinds of other adjectives there special powerful beautiful wisdom proverbs or reading of proverbs and study of them is essentially sitting at the feet of jesus like mary did and learning all that we can from him and here's why because folly is bound up in the heart of his children and he must train up his children, in the way that they should go. But Jesus didn't only teach, he lived it out. He was the perfect embodiment of the entire book of Proverbs. And he gloriously then is our Savior from our own sin-filled folly. So when Colossians 3.16 commands us Let the word of Christ, you can think, let the proverbs of Christ dwell in you richly. Let Christ's counsel take up residence inside of you. Don't just let it rattle around up in your head or go in one ear and out the other. Let it come, reside, open all of the rooms of your heart to the words of Christ so that they're living and active, lighting your path, And ultimately conforming you evermore into his likeness. Listen to them closely this summer. Remember them. It's going to be hard to remember all of them. We who are older, it gets even harder and harder, doesn't it? But ask God to help you with that. Remembering what are the nuggets each week that we look at that you need to keep chewing on and praying over and studying and trying to understand and applying. Think deeply. Discuss them with others. I would encourage you, share them in your homes and in your other connections with each other. Just keep watering and watering and watering those rich words of Christ so that they take root and bear much fruit. A good word of both warning here that I think is very appropriate for our setting and encouragement from Ortland. In our chaotic lives of constant stop-start, stop-start, short attention span mental habits, with an endless stream of momentarily visible Twitter feed fragments of information, we have been reduced to one splinter factoid after another. And we're trying to patch together some kind of elegant, whole, worth living. That is difficult. But the problem is not just that we are fidgety and distracted, It's that our information, however much we have, is no basis for a life. We need Jesus to rescue us from information and even from our knowledge. We need Jesus to counsel us with a new and yet ancient wisdom that comes from him. Then we can live. That is what is at stake here. Our living rather than our dying. And Christ speaks to us for our living Calmly, patiently, seriously through the book of Proverbs. And finally, did I say finally before? (laughs) Finally, finally. Just a reminder, and and I'll try to remind you often of this because I need this reminder often as well. We must not do, quote-unquote, do Proverbs gospel Apart from faith and trust and dependence upon Christ and His Word. So, just a few reminders of this. James 1, 6 to 8. James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, hit timeout right there on James 1. And look at the second half of the screen. I tried to cram both of these passages onto one. Proverbs explains to us what that asking entails. Notice all of these verbs in here. If you, my son, if you receive my wisdom's, Christ's words, and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, with that same kind of hunger and passion and devotion and zeal, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And the next phrase that I couldn't fit on is, for the Lord gives wisdom. So James and Solomon both emphasize the giving when we ask. Proverbs emphasizes even more the passion with which we must do it. And then James, going back to him, gives us the warning that whenever we're doing all this, it has to be done in faith. No doubting. Such a critical element. For doubting makes us tossed about, and we ultimately are double-minded and unstable. Maybe even more unstable in all of our ways. So... In closing, let's take to heart Proverbs 4, 5 to 9. Here's commands, but it's also principles for life. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget those things. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. And some of us are probably going to violate that within an hour of church being over. Don't forsake her. She'll keep you. Love her. She'll guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. And I'm going to interject in here Proverbs 8:11. Here's why he's emphasizing this. Wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So prize her highly. She'll exalt you. She'll honor you if you embrace her. She'll place on your head a graceful garland, she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. One of my favorite ways of thinking about the value of wisdom is a simple little line in Proverbs 3. It's easy to read over. I read over it so many times, missing it. But here's an intriguing thought. The tree of life is only referred to 12 times, 11 times in the Bible. In Genesis, at the beginning, in the garden, In Revelation, at the very, very end. And then four times in the book of Proverbs. And that's it. And one of those expressions in the book of Proverbs is, Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Wisdom is life-giving. Wisdom is the food, the fuel by which our lives must run. So would you begin praying for a summer where God really has to, we have to start with knowledge but takes that knowledge and works it into your life so that it fleshes out as a beautiful life of wisdom. Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you for the privilege we have on Sunday mornings to gather and to study it. But I thank you that all week long, each of us can continue to open them and ponder them And I just pray, Lord, that you'll use this powerful book and these powerful thoughts to powerfully shape the way that we're living. We've compromised many of these in many ways, Lord, and I ask that you'll use this time to just work deeply within us to make us ever more like Jesus who gave us these beautiful words. We ask in his name. We ask because of what he has done on the cross for us. And we ask with the hope of the preparation for heaven. Amen.